welcome to the SLP Full Disclosure Podcast. Tune in for each episode to hear from experts in the field about new and informative topics in the world of speech language pathology. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a guest. And let's jump into this episode. Hello and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my 5,000 miles plus bike riding sidekick, Jonathan Carey. <laughs> Not quite yet. I got I got a couple more days and then it'll be 5,000 for the year. So, well, You're so close. And, and that's a big accomplishment. Yeah, and 300,000 feet of climbing for the year. So... No, that's not really that big of a deal. I feel like that's more of the, a... The, the miles. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the elevation gain is 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 the bigger thing, but it's both are pretty cool. Jonathan, nobody even understands what that means. <laughs> when you say that, I don't even... And, I, and if you don't live... If you live at sea level, that would mean nothing. That's true. I know it's funny just because I have a friend that lives in Texas and he, he'll do like a 60-mile ride and it's like 200 feet of elevation gain and... Mm-hmm. Like just walking out my door is 200 feet of elevation. Yeah, I was going to say, going up a flight of stairs. We've, we've, there you go. But that's why I think people will understand, regardless of where you are, that you have pretty much biked more than I have driven yeah. in 2021. So that's to me, is it's kind of a big yeah. deal. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more than I've driven yeah. this year. So, yeah. Well, if you just would, if you would get, uh, one of those fancy baskets on your bike, like I'm encouraging you, then you could use that to go get groceries. And I mean, you can put those baskets well, on a road bike. Well, they actually make uh, cargo bikes where they have this like huge bin in front. Oh. And it's like it's pretty fancy. They, they use that in Holland a lot. So I was just going to yeah. say they use that, but isn't that where they store their kids to drive them around? I don't, I don't think that's what it's used for. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, all, that's the first that's thing that came to my mind. That's the off-brand, uh, you know, or <laughs> off-label way to use it. So. <laughs> but I don't think they are using the same kind of bike that you're riding. Correct, yeah. That's more like a cruiser bike. Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. But still, uh, pre-congratulations. I hope that's not like, is that taboo what? to pre to pre-congratulate? I mean, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that was like bad luck. Uh, I haven't heard it to be, but we'll find okay. out in the next couple of days. We'll report back. <laughs> Let us know. And, and if so, I just want to apologize in advance that I ruined your... Well, if that happens, they're probably not hearing this episode. So. <laughs> okay. So if you hear this episode, Jonathan has gotten to 5,000 yep. miles in 2021. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So let's just keep our fingers crossed that we all hear this episode so we can celebrate with you. Well, as you know, I was very excited to speak with our guest today because she is just a wealth of knowledge about something. I mean, Jonathan, can you believe there's something I don't know everything about? Uh, yes. <laughs> 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 the story in my head is different, but I really did not know a whole lot about this. And so I learned a lot. So, 
And now you're now lucky for you, Jonathan. I'm going to just pester you with what I've learned for the next. But since I was also months. here, I know just as much as you. So <laughs> I know, but I'm going to just now incessantly pester you well, about how excited be any I am. Different than normal. <laughs> I was going to say it'll just be a new something I'm going to pester you about. So. But we are talking today to Sierra Corbin, and she is a speech-language pathologist from Oregon, oh, excuse me, from Eugene, Oregon, and she runs Eugene Speech Therapy, which is a private practice that provides evidence-based services for speech, language, cognitive, voice, and swallowing disorders, disorders as well as gender-affirming voice and accent modification. So that's a lot, kind of a big deal. Sierra is also a clinical supervisor in the University of Oregon Communication Sciences. Just, I am really just having a hard time doing this one. Let me start over with the yeah. bio yeah. part. Okay, so, all right. So I am really excited today. We have Sierra Corbin. She is a speech language pathologist in Eugene, Oregon, and she runs Eugene Speech Therapy which is a private practice that provides evidence-based services for speech, language, cognitive, voice, and swallowing disorders, as well as gender-affirming voice and accent modification. Sierra is also a clinical supervisor in the University of Oregon Communication Disorders and Sciences graduate program, where she works in the clinic for adults with acquired language and motor speech disorders and the Alternative and Augmentative Communication Clinic. She is a certified MDTP, NMES, Forte, and Speak Out provider, created Rowdy Readers, which is a therapy group for people with Parkinson's who read to children, a Parkinson's choir, an online voice course, and has a YouTube channel dedicated to speech therapy education with 2.4 million views. So welcome, Sierra Corbin. I'm so happy to have you today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you have, before we jump in, it's just, as we learned from the introduction, um, it's interesting because a lot of times I'm, I'm speaking with guests that I feel like, oh yeah, I've done that. I've done something similar or I have a good grasp on it. But I feel like what you do in your specialty, I cannot say that about any of it. So I'm oh, so wow. excited to learn from you. And I do feel like it's an area where it's, you just have very specialized experience. So I think it's going to be really beneficial to anybody who doesn't know like me or who may be yeah. interested in pursuing this. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I personally feel like I'm a generalist. I see so many different areas, but I do my best to you know, provide evidence-based care in each of those areas. So, and Parkinson's yeah. is a, I just love the population. So yeah, there's plenty for us to dive into. All right. Well, I always like to just get started by, I, I'm always just personally very curious about what got you into this profession? What led you down the road to become a speech pathologist and, mm -hmm. and to your, into your current role? Yeah. Um, I, in my undergrad, I was a psychology major for two years, which I still love psychology, but for some reason it, the, the job prospects didn't excite me. I don't know what it was. I just wanted something different. And my mom was a primary school teacher and she suggested speech therapy. 
Um, I think she knew that I had a history of correcting people's speech and had a knack <laughs> for accents and things. Um, and so I was in a language exchange in Chian, Chile, um, and I changed majors to CDS. I changed cities to Eugene, Oregon to go to the U of O. And the first course that I took was communication disorders in the media. And I read, where's the mango princess? Have you read that? I have not. That's a, it's a book. A woman wrote it about her, their journey with her husband's ABI. I think he acquired it on, from a boating accident and it kind of, goes through their acute healing process, including their work with SLP. And from then on, I was just really inspired to help people regain what they had lost. And kind of the rest is is history. That's how I got into speech. I love that story because I, I always it's always fascinating what what door opened for people to walk through and and what the inspiration was. But I definitely tell me the name of the book one more time. Where is the mango princess? Okay, and that I'm is put something it on my that list. he says. That's a quote from him oh, as he was coming out that's... of his coma. Where's the mango princess? Oh wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So then you you went through school and you what what initially were you drawn to, or what did you think? Well, when I'm yeah. out, this is what I'm going to do. What was that thought process for you? Good question because I'm not doing it now, which I think is the case for so many of us. You know. It's like so common, so common. You know, and there's so many yeah. options as SLPs. There's just so many areas to go into, so that can really um, shift. But I was interested in TBI, and so I had a focus there. I tried to focus there in my grad program, and then I graduated and um, got a job in a SNF, and. As you know, in a sniff, you see everybody for mm-hmm. everything. So that I didn't really get to keep that specialization. And then I opened the private practice. And who I see is who my community is, what my community needs. And so I'm basically filling the needs of my community. And we have a really awesome program, the ORC at the hospital, which is an inpatient program for brain injury. And, um, so I don't see a lot of those clients anymore. I see some aphasia, dysphagia, and then a lot of voice. And they're just there's a huge need for voice therapy, and not a lot of clinicians who are doing it. And I've I've uh, kind of shifted over to providing that type of therapy. Yeah, I think you being able to, I could. It's very apparent just even from previous conversations that you are very community minded. Mm. clinician and really are just looking out for the the best interest of the community members you live amongst, which I think is incredible. And that you've really have just kind of opened up your, it's like, okay, I'm opening my heart and mind and whatever needs to be treated or where I can be of service is what I'm going to do. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really um, incredible characteristic. So yeah. I, I, I don't see everybody. So, you know, if I get someone who stutters, I send them to our local stuttering expert, for instance, um, birth to, you know, I don't do kids anymore. And I, so I wouldn't do something that I didn't feel comfortable with. I'll put that out there because we shouldn't put the pressure on us to be able to do everything. And there's always someone you can refer to. Um, but I already had a propensity for voice. My husband is a singer, musician, 
I already had kind of an interest in it. So it was kind of a natural shift, but you're right. When we do work in SNFs or hospitals or, or um, private practice, we can get a whole bunch of people and we shouldn't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that today. Mm-hmm. What if you get a voice client or Parkinson's client, you don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be afraid to go to the resources and learn how to help them. You know, and I think that's such a good reminder is that definitely don't think, oh, I've never done anything with swallowing, but today yeah. I'm going to, I'm sure you're, you're my it. first one. <laughs> yeah. How hard could this be? Yeah. Definitely that is, we don't want that, but I do love that, that frame of mind of don't fear something just because it is new that you can learn. And, and that's where I think our SLP community is so wonderful is that we're so open to teaching and there's always opportunities to learn. So yeah, I think that's, that's important. Now, when you started you, so you open your own practice Mm -hmm. and you obviously had this love for voice. Did you open your practice thinking I'm going to specialize in this or how did that come about? Yeah. So when I opened my private practice, I didn't have a focus on voice, but after a few months, I was, I think probably brainstorming about how to diversify my practice and grow my caseload. And I realized there wasn't really anyone doing one-on-one therapy for the gender affirming clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I did the CEUs. I learned how to see those clients and I put it out there that I can see these clients. And ever since then, I've gotten a steady flow. So I started doing, you know, feminine, masculine, non-binary voice. Mm-hmm. And then I was at the ASHA convention in um, LA and I happened upon the Parkinson Voice Project table, learned about their grant, and then went back to my job at the U of O because I also supervise um, at the clinic there. And we applied and we've gotten the grant ever since. And that's when I started to see more Parkinson's clients and really get involved in that community. So it's, it's uh, somewhat organic, but I have put my energies out there in this, in this area. Yeah. And I think that's so that's, I love that you're doing the gender affirming therapy because I think that's so important. And that is an area where not everybody has that experience or knowledge. So and once you get the reputation that you do, that's yeah. what a great resource, again, to your community and outlying areas as well. Yeah. And I, and I think, too, there is that sense also that I, I didn't know this for the longest time, just not working with Parkinson's, but just how closely tied the Parkinson's and voice therapy are. They go hand in hand, basically, is my understanding. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. They... they um, usually need help in all of the areas, language, mm-hmm. cognition, swallowing, and voice mm-hmm. and articulation. Um, but the most researched treatment for them is the voice therapies. And so, and those are showing some support with the swallowing as well. So if you work on the voice, it might also help the swallowing. We'll be right back to our interview. Take a moment to stretch your legs, but don't go anywhere because we want to talk to you about our podcast partner, Med Travelers. Med Travelers is an industry leader in allied travel career opportunities for a reason. Featuring exclusive jobs at top tier facilities across the United States, higher earning potential, W-2 employee status, and a flexible schedule. 
Med Travelers is your advocate for career success. Make sure to visit medtravelers.com to discover how Med Travelers can help drive your career forward. Again, go to medtravelers.com to start your travel journey today. And now back to the show. That and that makes sense. It, yeah. it absolutely makes sense when you say it. it's like, oh yeah, but how <laughs> great that they find it's one of those where sometimes a drug that was meant for one use, they yeah. realize, oh, it also does this. So right. <laughs> it's like almost like, oh, we found that doing the voice therapy not only helps the voice, but also the swallowing. Swallow. So what a great skill set to have to be able to help both of those areas that they struggle with. Yeah. And it really aligns with kind of how insurance companies, if you work with insurance, mm-hmm. are trying to push us, which is high quality care that's efficient. And so as little sessions as possible, making the most gains as you can. What we're missing, though, is there is enough research to back it up to say, I, I know this will probably really help your swallow. I don't know that for sure. And I can't mm-hmm. tell anyone that. <laughs> so we just we do need more research. But um, it's exciting. It's promising. Yeah. And so anybody out there looking for a thesis, yeah. there you go. <laughs> you heard it from Sierra. This is an area where, and you're exactly right. I mean, because I think so much of what happens within our field is that we do something and see, oh, this is the outcomes. And so we can tell you, this is what I've seen over yeah. and over and over again, but you're exactly right. Unless there's data to back it up, it does make it challenging for funding and yeah. additional support. Yep. So. Yeah, so I'm interested as well. So you had before your time at the ASHA convention where you got associated with the organization, had you worked with anyone with Parkinson's before or was this brand new, like, let me see what I can learn about this population? I had. I had a few um, Parkinson's clients and I, I, I can't, kind of created my own treatment sessions, you know, maybe vocal adduction exercises with resistance, maybe a, using a pacing board. And things mm-hmm. like that to kind of like pinpoint these different areas that they needed working on respiration. Um, but I will say that since implementing Speak Out, it's just, it's night and day. Uh, LSVT and Speak Out really are the gold standard if someone is a candidate for those treatments. And and I'm happy to get into why that is, but... Um, yeah, no, I would love to... It- get into what kind of what your thought process is on that, because it's so, because I'm curious also when you first started working with these patients and were thought, okay, how did you even initially go down the road of, okay, with the pacing board or was some of that related to the voice therapy treatment or did you just Mm. have to go find out all the information you could find? Um, Yeah. So I just, I went and, and found so people with Parkinson's, let's just back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. The hypokinetic dysarthria, because they have that rigidity and that slow initiation, that can halt their speech. They can also mumble and quicken as their um, respiratory support is declining. And that's why I utilize the pacing board. And, you know, if I looked at the evidence for it now, I'm sure there's some evidence for it, but I don't. I'm not sure if that versus speak out or LSVT, if that mm-hmm. really was the best treatment I could have been providing my clients. And I'm happy to say that because we all grow, you know, Yes. but there is evidence for things like vocal adduction exercises and things like that. However, LSVT and speak out, 
use a totally different kind of centralized concept that when done correctly by the client automatically slows down their speech, automatically raises their vocalizations and has clearer articulation. So you don't have to work on those things individually. Those Mm. things happen when you work on intent or just being loud, which is, which is why they're so such great therapies. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I would love to get into just even what your thought is on and how, why it's so effective, because it sounds like this one program will address (laughs) so many areas. It seems silly that you wouldn't want to get involved with that if you're working with these patients. But quickly, I want to just step back because again, this is, it's an area I have never worked with the patients with Parkinson's. And so just to kind of get an idea of who these patients are and what this looks like, what age do you normally start to see those onset of symptoms? And I guess, what is the average age of the patients that you're serving and you're working with? Yeah. Well, there's early onset Parkinson's and that can happen around um, the 40s. And then um, typical onset is 60s plus. So I'll I'll usually work with people more commonly from um, 60s to 80s. So when we think of like, you know, Michael J. Fox, he was really early on. Very young. That's not typical by any It's less common for sure. And, um, And as we see with him, with the young onset Parkinson's, it's usually slower progressing, which is why he's, you know, doing so well compared to others. Okay. So that's really interesting. So that's almost like the sooner you get it, the slower the progression is. And if you get it, later in life, it usually is, you start to see a lot of symptoms more severe earlier. True. However, it is a very heterogeneous population. Everyone's totally unique and different. So you really just don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. So it's like, you know, some things, but not everything. And then everything could change at any time. Yeah. And all the, yeah. Okay. So it's like piece of cake, (laughs) but it basically seems like you just really have to look at each individual as, because they're, they're sounds like no two are going to present the same. Exactly. And it's, it's our job to always be reassessing and following Mm -hmm. and referring out if we notice something else is happening and whatnot. So with the speak out program, what I really like is that it has automatic follow-ups and refreshers. So the second you start working with somebody, you're with them for, throughout the rest of their life, throughout the rest of the progression wow. of their disease, unless they stop coming into you. But um, yeah. that's So it really does, it, you're in for the long haul. This is a long relationship that you will have. Right. Which is yeah. one reason why it's so delightful to work with these people because mm-hmm. you get to know them, you know, you work with yeah. them for years. Yeah. And just that continuity of care is really, that's really powerful as well because it's right. that you know them, they know you. And, um, and so tell us a little bit about, because again, uh, the LSVT program, what what are the really like if somebody's going to work with patients with Parkinson's or is interested, and I know it's also from what I understand, you it's definitely something that can be used with other populations. I know clinicians that use it with um yeah. their patients that have Down syndrome, mm-hmm. or I've heard of even now they're doing an LSVT for kids, which I just saw advertised. But if somebody says, you know, I really am interested in working more with this population. I do know I need to do some training. Tell us what mm-hmm. it is about the LSVT program that really 
you feel like, why is it so effective? And so like it, kind of a must do if you're going to work with them. Yeah. If you're going to work with Parkinson's, absolutely. LSVT or speak out. I'm not LSVT mm-hmm. certified. I did some okay. work with it um, when I was in graduate school, but that's pretty much the extent of it. I am a speak out provider though. Okay. But I do know the differences between the two. Um, so they're both intensive. Speak out is a, is fewer sessions, which can be nice to fit into people's schedules. And Speak Out incorporates cognitive exercises, which LSVT does not, but they're both. So we kind of have to talk about the cause of Parkinson's if you want to know why these work. So should we kind of go over that? Yes, please, please give us the high level overview of what what is even happening to cause this. Yeah, I think that's helpful to understand that first. So we all know about the... Um, dopaminergic neurons that are dying, and this is substantia nigra. We know there's a decrease in dopamine. Um, but what studies are showing is that before we even see those motor symptom changes, there are changes lower in the brainstem. So the dorsal nuclei of the vagus nerve is affected. And then it seems to kind of creep up the brainstem, affect more nuclei. And then we see that decrease in dopamine. And by the time someone's showing, showing those motor changes and they go to their doctor and say, I need an assessment, they've often lost 80 to 90% of their dopamine. So it's it's huge. And that's wow. why I think some researchers are trying to figure out how can we diagnose this earlier. But then we don't just see motor changes. We don't just see the there's rigidity, the tremor, the postural changes, the bradykinesias. Bradykinesias are that slowness to initiate movement and the slowness mm-hmm. of rep- rep- repetitive movement. We also see changes in smell, the GI tract, cognition. And so it really is a whole body disease and we have to take that into consideration. And as you start to work with these clients, you'll see a lot of my clients complain of constipation or, you know, memory loss. So um, if you're working with these clients and you notice they, a lot of them have constipation, change in their smell, um, change in their cognition, like memory and attention, that's really common. And those are things to, to track. And sometimes we're on the front lines and we notice these symptoms before they have a diagnosis. And we can maybe say, huh. These are often linked to, to PD. Maybe you should go see a neurologist and um, that can be helpful for diagnosis as well. I'm really interested in something you said where you said that like 80 to 90% of their motor function, it can be impaired by the time they go in. Is it because it happens so quickly where it's like, wow, when it goes, it's gone? Or is it because it's they feel like so many of the things that are happening can be attributed to other things. Like how, why is that Mm. such a large decline by the time they go in? So the 80 to 90% was the dopamine loss. Oh, okay. I was sorry. That's the amount of dopamine. But gotcha. you're, You're right. It's, it's more than just that. So then there's more to the story. It keeps progressing. And then it's the <laughs> oh, midbrain gosh. and then it's the yeah. neocortex and the limbic system is affected. So people sleep and their mood. Um, and if you work with this population, you know this, you see these symptoms these, and you hear these complaints. 
And then there's Lewy bodies that are associated yeah. with most people with Parkinson's. And whenever you have a lot of cell loss, there's the Lewy body collections as well. And then some of our clients end up with dementia and it's really complicated. And I just think it's important to remember it's more than dopamine. Yeah. It just feels and sounds like a really cruel disease. If you're it's yeah. just feels like it's it's unpredictable it's yeah. affects everything mm-hmm. um and it's progressive so it's like gosh you know it just feels really uh, really like a cha- huge rough. challenge it's rough there's just so many things oh. people <clears throat> struggle with and they they it's a cycle so like if mm-hmm. you have decreased if you have you know short term memory loss and you have to take your pills within a really short time frame, like the, mm-hmm. the medication, the levodopa is really specific times throughout the day, then that's a struggle and you suffer because of it. And then you might fall and then get hurt. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it just kind of goes from there. So it's really important to stay on top of everything. It's really important for us as clinicians to advocate going to physical therapy, going mm-hmm. to neurology checks, asking, do you think your neurologist might want to switch your medication up or whatever, and just helping them through that process? It's a lot for them to manage. Yeah. And do you typically like to have additional family members, caregivers, significant others, um, their children in with your sessions for that reason? Yes, absolutely. I ask them to come in. Mm-hmm. It works maybe half the time because these are Adults, they are, yeah. we're probably successful in our lives mm-hmm. and some people are hesitant to have their significant other assist them, but I do try really hard to get them involved. Yeah. Um, Just and, if nothing else for those reminders. Exactly. Yeah. And I do see, so if anyone with PD ends up listening to this, I see people are more successful when they do have their family support involved mm-hmm. and when they, they, push against that, they usually struggle a little bit more for obvious yeah, reasons. Yeah, that makes, yeah, I, yeah. And it, oh, it would be so hard because like you said that I was this independent person and now I've got to rely yeah. on this, this right. person, but I, I could absolutely see why they would be more successful because if you have somebody that's helping you get your appointments made, making sure you're taking your medication, your mm-hmm. long-term prognosis should be better. Yeah. Yeah. And are there any sort of, and maybe this is something that hasn't been determined yet, but is there anything that they found where this group or this will lead to uh, Parkinson's? Is there any correlation between, uh, why would somebody be more likely to get it? Do they know that yet? Mm -hmm. I feel like causation isn't, we're not there yet, Okay, but there are some thoughts about pesticides Um, but that and other progressive diseases as well Mm. as gut health. I think some people with PD have been diagnosed as it's starting in the gut and traveling Mm. up to the brain. There's a lot of different types of Parkinson's too. So there's Parkinsonism, which is kind of the umbrella term. Idiopathic Parkinson's disease is the kind that we see most of the time. We don't know how it started, but then Mm. there is, so Muhammad Ali ended up with Parkinson's because of repeated trauma. You know, so there's um, PSP, which is a more severe, basically, form of PD that levodopa cannot help. And so there's 
there are different types of Parkinson's, but the idiopathic kind, yeah, I don't think they, they know necessarily. I don't know <laughs> what it is. <laughs> what do I need to do? I don't want it. It sounds really, I mean, it just, I feel so, you know, my heart breaks for anyone who's got, because I do have some friends who have family members with it and I know it's just, yeah. it, it's really hard. And yeah, uh, so there, I'm grateful for people like you that are really passionate about this. Yeah. But now that we kind of have a better understanding of what it looks like, I'd mm-hmm. love to just go back to the speak up where you really do have that yeah. knowledge base and talk about why do, why is that so effective now that we know it affects all of these different systems. Yeah. So speak out is created for voice and but as I said earlier it can also help slow down the speech and improve articulation. Those are just kind of like um effects. Um, Mm -hmm. but it focuses on the use of intent. So because the automatic system is affected, the, the substantia nigra is in the basal ganglia that affects automatic movement. So Mm -hmm. speaking is usually automatic. You don't have to think about it, but you do think about it when you're giving a speech or in an interview and that uses, the pyramidal system, which is the volitional motor system. Now, I remember being in grad school and I was like, what? I never got this in grad school. But now that I've worked with Parkinson's... I'm thinking, same thing here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Brand new. Brand new. (laughs) But it makes a lot of sense now that I work with this population. Um, So we can turn communication into a volitional act. And so we teach people to speak with intent. And we do that by telling them to speak with purpose, to be thoughtful. And we have little tricks like speak to the back of the room, speak over my head, pretend like you're speaking to an audience or you're the CEO of a company, use your CEO voice. And just tricking the brain to go over to the volitional motor use bypasses the automatic system that is reliant on the dopamine and so people will get louder and more intelligible. LSBT is very similar. It's doing the same thing, but uses different vocabulary. They focus on being loud. So they say, be loud, be loud, you know, a strong voice. It's, um, it's basically the same concept. I like using intent because you mm-hmm. can be intentional and not really loud and still be better understood that they're both, they both have really good outcomes in terms of uh, people maintaining their skills over time. Well, and I appreciate that explanation because honestly, I have heard about this a million times. I really have never had a need to do the training, but I really and truly did not know what was at the heart of it. So that explains a lot. Yeah. Now, how, and so let's say even if they are having these respiratory where they can't take the full breath mm-hmm. um, or that's challenging for them, is it, something where that has to be addressed first before that speaking with intent, or can you do them at the same time? Good question. So this goes back to what the work that I did before I was a speak out provider, where I would work individually on respiration Mm -hmm. and then on slowing the speech and then on being loud. You don't focus on that. So because people with Parkinson's often have a decline in cognition, we try and keep the cognitive load low and we only work on the intent. But because of the mechanisms for that, they automatically take a bigger breath 
if they're thinking like, oh, I have to talk to the back of the room. Hello. You automatically open your mouth, take a breath Mm. and speak forcefully. So we don't actually even talk about breathing at all. If they ask me, if they say, well, when should I breathe? Um, I say whenever you need to, and then we move on and it's a lot of modeling. So I will model taking a breath, but I won't actually explain it to them. And Mm. we see people respond to that as opposed to me going, okay, do this and this and this, and this and this, and then remember to do this. They're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? As opposed to just like, ah, now you do it. And then they do it. So, uh, it's, it's genius. It's a really effective approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm thinking, I'm sorry, I'm thinking I'm like, why didn't I think of this? <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons, but anyway, it <laughs> does make all perfect sense when you're saying it because, and I also really think, wow, because you have here, you are working with a population where memory, there's cognitive skills. And so giving them a million things to remember is not going to be effective. And so I really like that this, you you need to focus on one thing and one thing only. And by focusing on that one thing, it does positively impact all these other areas, but it's not something they have to retain and remember. Exactly. Yeah. And so how long is there a thought process as far as it's automatic, like where they have to really think about it for a certain amount of time. And then it just is not something they have to, or is this something where for the remainder of this disease, you have to be intentional when you speak? It's a really, really good question. Um, when I was at the training in Texas, Samantha Ellendry, who's the creator of speak out said it takes six months to two years to integrate using intent. And I'm going to guess that that means when people are really dedicated to the home exercise plan Mm -hmm. and actually really trying to generalize that skill. So it, yeah, it takes quite a bit of time, but some people do and other Mm -hmm. people, it's more challenging to do. Yeah. Just like any of our clientele, right? Some are just like, I'm going to do whatever I need to others for a variety of reasons. Like it just doesn't (laughs) happen as quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say I have seen I see progress after one session with this therapy. The second someone gets like, oh, I'm going to speak with purpose. One of the the sweetest stories I have heard was from a young couple and the wife came back and she said, after one session, she said, he went and ordered his own beer for the first time in a long time. (laughs) You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. (laughs) It's the little things. I mean, honestly, it's really is the little things that like that, where it's like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. And so, and and I would think too, that it would be motivating for them to continue to do it because then they can communicate more effectively. So it seems that they would want to continue to do it and use those skills because it's like, then I can go order my own beer. I don't have to rely on somebody else. So, and that's an interesting point that you brought up because the motivation reward um, Mm -hmm. is is affected with Parkinson's because of that decrease in dopamine. Um, so that is actually a huge thing that people have to, to work on is remaining motivated. And that's why going to the weekly loud crowd group is really important. Incorporating your family, doing the follow-up so we can kind of keep those reminders going and keep the progress going. Yeah. And I, 
Yeah, because I think it would probably be one of those things that is, you're hearing you say that, it's like motivation is a part of this. So I love that there's so many things built in, like yeah. the continuity of care, the check-ins, the modifications, the groups. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking this would be a really great population to work with if you're one of those SLPs that loves putting all the pieces together and yeah. almost just constantly, okay, I got it. Now we're going to reevaluate. Now we're going to, because... That's fun. I think that's a lot of fun. A fun part of this this role is like, okay, being almost the detective and the scientist. So this would be a great population to work with. I'm the same way. I love evaluations. Some people don't yeah. like doing evaluations. I, I'm all about it. I love putting the pieces together. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So you, again... You are in the right place. <laughs> you, <laughs> <It's true>. are. <laughs> you are. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, just kind of, and I know it's different for everybody, but when you get a new client, um, the patient that comes in with Parkinson's, it's got, they have a diagnosis, you're seeing them for the first time. What are kind of your basic beginning steps to getting them started mm-hmm. with treatment? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So usually I have a a medical history and referral Mm -hmm. from their doctor, or I I ask for it if they're self-referred. And so I have that to review. And then I do my interview, a motivational interview, because some people come in, Parkinson's disease also affects the sensory system. So sometimes they don't really realize they're no longer intelligible or they're coughing or whatever it is. And it's their loved ones who say, you need to get help. So... Either way, we we kind of figure that out. What is their long-term goal? You know, some people say, I no longer go to choir or I lose my voice on the phone or I can't talk at the dinner table anymore. And that's my long-term goal right off the bat. Um, for most people, I use the speak out protocol for assessments just because it gives me a lot of really good information. And if they're going to do it, then I've got that information. It gives us decibel level baselines in various um, speaking contexts. And I also do some acoustic analysis. So I will take some recordings and run them through Pratt and get their CPP level, which is their kind of dystonia level, their vocal Mm -hmm. range, things like that. Um, Have them read some reading passages and then I will describe their voice. What are the vocal qualities that they, what severity you don't do they have with those? I might do the Cape V, which is a way to describe the voice. And then we'll do stimulability, which is me. If they're going to do speak out, I will teach them how to use intent, have them model, have them repeat and see if they're a good candidate. See if they do pick up, you know, the skills and improve their decibel levels. Wow. So it's very thorough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is not messed around. This is like, we are going to look at the whole picture. And I was going to, you touched on something that I was curious about. It sounds like not everybody is an ideal candidate. It's not like everybody who's got a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, who, who's not the best candidate for this program? Sure. Well, first you've got people who don't want an intensive program. You know, maybe they're like, I go to physical therapy. I go to this appointment. I'm too busy. It's three times a week. If it's LSBT, it's four times a week. Wow. And so they're just not ready for that. And Mm -hmm. I may do something else or they're mild in their progression and they don't need the intensity or they say, 
I could do that, but let's wait. And so I have them do some other things or they have something that needs to be worked on first. So maybe to compensate for their breathiness and their weakness, they've, they're clenching and have some muscle tension. So we need to relieve that first and then we can do speak out. Cause if you have muscle tension and then you start yelling, it's going to make it worse. So there's things like that. And so that's, do you gauge their almost like this is going to be work on your part. It's going to need require your cooperation. And if somebody says, eh, I'm not really, does that kind of also take them where, you know, okay, this may be not again, maybe not forever, but right now this is not the right time. Do you, do you require that buy-in on their part to say, I am going to commit to doing what I need to do in order for them to be in the program? I do. I do try really hard on day one, even the assessment day to be like, Mm -hmm. this is what it is. There's a daily practice Mm -hmm. and I'm going to start incorporating a visual analog scale like they do in Forte, which is the phonation resistance exercise training for presbyphonia. I really like that because they can mark where, how ready they think they are for therapy. And that's a really great way to talk about it as opposed to them just going, yeah, sure. I can. I can do that because I'm being so convincing. (laughs) Um, I do try really hard to educate on that. And that education continues throughout the course of treatment. If people are slipping up with their homework. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think sometimes people think, oh, the right answer is I'm going to tell you, no, I absolutely want to do this. And it's like, no, 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 no. We don't want that answer. If that's not, don't tell me you're going to do it in the not. There's no right, wrong answer. But yeah, it's... Yeah. I think with any of the diagnoses we work with, where we know it's going to be an ongoing, it's like if you, mm-hmm. and again, you know, that may change at any time throughout, but I right. I think that's so important to get that, especially for, it sounds like for this type of program where it really will require a commitment. It really does. And the, the, I think with LSVT and Speak Out both, they get progressively more difficult. Mm-hmm. So there's a workbook and it starts out easy and it gets hard. So if you're not doing the daily homework, you won't be able to, to keep up. And we ha- I have that talk a lot because a lot of people, it's, it's difficult to integrate that into their life. So it's important to brainstorm ways to, to complete it. Um, but yeah. we're always adapting. If they're finding it challenging, we talk about why and we try and see how we can fit it into their daily life or stop the program and pick it up later, yeah. or whatever it is. And so how do you know when to discharge? How do you know when, when is it done or, or is it like on, or does it like cut down and then there's just less frequent visits or what, what does that look like? Yeah. So with speak out, it's, it's scheduled out for 12 visits. It's three times a week for four weeks. LSVT is four times a week for four weeks. And I think my impression is LSVT is pretty rigid, but I think if you're a good clinician, you'll do what's best for your client. And mm-hmm. same with speak out. If someone's doing stellar after eight visits, you can discharge, or if they need more, okay. if they need 16 visits, you can do that. And they actually, the Parkinson voice project has a little sheet for you to, to look at where they're at with their decibel levels and see if mm-hmm. you think they're a good candidate for discharge. Basically it's, they don't need a lot of cueing to do the exercises and they're meeting their decibel level goals and they're doing better in their conversational speech. So I want them to be able to 
generalize the intent to conversation. And if they're doing that, then I will often discharge them. Well, I, I graduate them. Yeah. I don't discharge. (laughs) I graduate them and then they come back. So. (laughs) Yeah. But I love that. It's, It's a way to look at it as far as like, I think you're right. It sounds so clinical. You've, you're going to be discharged versus yeah. you're graduating. Yeah. It's yeah. a celebration. Yes. I've had that talk with many parents. I'm like, no, this is, they're like, wait, what? They're not, I'm yeah. like, this is good news. <laughs> <laughs> we want this. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I feel like as I'm listening to you, I'm like, gosh, if I were to go back, I feel like this would have been such a good fit for me, but, um, yeah. that maybe it's not too late. I don't know. But, yeah. um, if you, what would you say to somebody who wants to get involved with this? I mean, it sounds like this, um, speak out website probably can really direct, or if they want to do LSVT, mm-hmm. but what else would you recommend? Um, do you do any trainings or have resources? Like what, where can people find information that want to know, learn more about this? Sure. Yeah. So um, LSBT speak out, both have resources. They both have repeated trainings. Um, you can do every few years. I know with LSBT that's required. Mm-hmm. And so that's an excellent way to, to keep up with these programs. Um, and they have great education in terms of, you know, Parkinson's disease in general. But one thing that I really like going to is see, is it ASHA pathways? I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but it's their I, evidence map essentially. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so you can go log on to ASHA and pick the population you want. And then that they've kind of like disseminated the research and, and, um, narrowed down the studies for you to go look at. And honestly, I'm a med SLP collective member and there's other, other, um, subscriptions you can sign up for that are really supportive in giving you the research, just what you need to know for various populations. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's a great suggestion um, because I agree that this is one of those where you really do want to do that evidence-based work. And it sounds like when I'm listening to what even goes into your assessment, I mean, all of that is very evidence-based. Yeah. It's, and, but also taking into account that what their concerns are and what they find to be personally making the most impacts on their life. Yes. So I love that you incorporate those two things. That's a good point too, because speak out and LSBT aren't the only things. And these mm-hmm. people have cognitive changes, swallowing changes. So go to the research, go to the, mm-hmm. um, the literature, take the CEU courses that focus on, you know, take a swallowing for Parkinson's course. Mm-hmm. And they'll probably review something expiratory muscle strength training, EMST is kind of one of the treatments for swallowing that has some research behind it that actually shows it can help people maintain their swallow. So, um, yeah, the, the information is out there if you go looking for it. Yeah, I know. sometimes it's like, I love that you give a couple of specific names because I, or steps, because I know sometimes just like you said in the beginning, our field can be so overwhelming. It's yeah. like, I don't even know where to begin. So I feel like even just going to like the speak out website and then yeah. looking at the ASHA pathways is like a great, or the LSVT and mm-hmm. just to kind of at least get started. Yeah. Um, and I know your clinic is in Eugene, Oregon. And um, so if there's any 
patients in that area, that would be a great place for, for them to get services. Mm-hmm. Do you ever take on graduate students or have people shadow you that are interested in that work if they're in the area? I do. Yeah. I yeah. do take interns. Yep. What about older SLPs <laughs> like myself? What if I, I'm like, maybe this is going to be my next career. <laughs> Absolutely. I love okay. it. I, like I said, I supervise at the university. I'm so used to interacting with people and helping them navigate this stuff yeah. that I do enjoy it. So totally. And, um, sometimes it's been people via just doing the telehealth appointments and just mm-hmm. logging in on zoom yeah. you know, with the pandemic, but now we're seeing people in person too. So no, definitely. Yeah. I think that's so smart. And that's something that I should have added to that list is find a mentor. If you want to work with yeah. a new population, find someone who does it. I'm sure they'd be happy to tell you, you know, what to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, and um, and we'll put all of your information in the show notes too. I hope it does. You don't get inundated, but I just feel like, um, you know, if you're this is, you just have so much experience and and just know a lot about working with this population, and so I feel like ants are seem so open to just and passionate about sharing and wanting other, not like I have the information I will not share with anyone, but I have it, but I want everyone else to have it too, because then it just ends up helping other, other people everywhere. So I think it's great. Running a private practice, I've learned to not be competitive. We need to support other SLPs. If, if more people, if they do LSVT or speak out in town, Mm -hmm. that's great because more people are getting help. More doctors know about how to refer, et cetera. It's a good thing for our clients. Yeah. And it just, I think it also just positively impacts our profession. The more people that are really qualified in specific Mm -hmm. areas, it does just take away some of that, like, wait, what do you do? What is it? Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or like a few jobs I've been at where they said, called me the speech lady. I was like, I feel like, I feel like there's so much more, (laughs) but we want to just take away some of that stigma where it's like, no, we're very, I mean, you're a scientist, you're, you know, right. really and truly, and but also a counselor. I mean, you've got kind of these. Yeah. You see, your psychology came. Yeah, there you go. We use You're it every using day. it all the time. We <laughs> exactly. do. And we always get those clients, no matter where, what top um, area we work in, where they say, "Well, the speech therapy didn't help me," or I'll mm-hmm. get a client in that says, "Oh, someone told me that voice therapy really helped them. That's why I'm here today." So it makes a mm-hmm. huge difference how we treat our clients overall. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, just one last question is I would love to know, um, what's next for you professionally? What Um, do you, what is yet to be accomplished? So many things. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) I have a, like I have a four and a half month old baby. So one of my goals is to streamline my business, hire more therapists Mm -hmm. because I have a huge wait list and I want to, kind of balance out my, my work life, um, relationship, but I'm, I signed up to help with an app, uh, create an app mm. for home exercise plans and I'm cool. running the speech therapy part. Yeah. So that's pretty neat. Keep working on my YouTube channel, Eugene speech therapy. And I want to kind of dip my toe into the research again, you know, mm. like it's been a long time since grad school and I want to write a case study or do some posters or something and get these interesting cases out there. Seems, seems like a good natural progression for me. 
Yeah. And you'd be the perfect person for it because you know where the holes are and kind of like, where do we need to know more? What would be important information to get out to the masses? So um, whenever you begin sleeping through the night again, I think this is great. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Not yet. Yeah. And I love that app. See, this is what I feel like I get so inspired speaking to other SLPs because I think it's such a good reminder of all the things that we can do within this field. I mean, think about you just gave four distinct, you know, areas where managing other SLPs, creating an app, doing research, you know, continuing to grow in your practice. And it's, I mean, that's, I love that because I think that's really great if anybody's kind of struggling to find motivation or what, what Mm. they feel may inspire them. I mean, what you said just helped me feel inspired. So I, I love that you're spread the word. Yeah. Our fields in our field, you can either just stick with the status quo and stay in your job and be totally content, mm-hmm. but there's so many opportunities to be entrepreneurial. And, um, with all the SLPs who are feeling burnout in our profession, there are other avenues to consider. I think with mm-hmm. your skill set, there's things that you can venture into. Yes. And I think that is such an important reminder. If something's not working, it doesn't no longer serving its purpose. There's so many other things that we can do that just sometimes have to think outside of the box a little bit. So, right. Well, Sierra, this has been so, I've really loved this conversation. I've learned a ton from you and I know others will as well. And, um, we definitely will put all the, the YouTube channel and your, uh, website uh, URL address in the show notes. And I encourage anybody who's interested in this or as working with individuals with Parkinson's to um, go and check out Sierra's information. And thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. That was really fun. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into SLP Full Disclosure. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP full disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top level facilities across the country. Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.